January the 15th, 2009 was a typical day at LaGuardia Airport. Uh, There was nothing exceptional or unusual about this particular January afternoon other than it was cold as you would expect a January afternoon in New York to be. Uh, It was very typical to have planes going in and out and there was a Airbus 320 that was making its way down the runway at 324 in the afternoon. Very typical, nothing unusual about it. The Airbus took off, nothing unusual, it was fine, until they reached about 2,800 feet in the air. And then that Airbus 320, Flight 1549, as U.S. Airways called it, uh, hit a flock of geese. Canadian geese struck the plane in full force, as well as the engines, disabling it, uh, both engines fully disabled. Uh, The plane continued to glide up another couple hundred of feet for just about 30 seconds, and then the Airbus 320, Flight 1549, there on that cold January day, effectively became a 75-ton glider. The captain, Captain Chelsea Sullenberger, affectionately known as Sully, began to go through a checklist, a process of routines, of, of what do you do when you have no thrust and you're 3,000 feet in the air. Uh, They attempted, as he and his co-pilot went through the checklist, to see if they could reroute to a couple of local airports. But Captain Sully made the huge decision that he would not be able to get to those airports safely without risking the lives of the passengers or people on the ground. And he made the unusual decision though in retrospect it was the right decision, to land Flight 1549 right in the middle of the Hudson River on that cold January day. That's not an easy landing to do if you have any piloting experience. You know it's hard enough, challenging enough to land it on the ground, on the old terra firma, trying to land 75 tons in the water is no small task. He declared a mayday at 3.24 p.m. as the birds struck the engines. At 3.31, the plane was in the water. Now, Captain Sullenberger had plenty of experience. Over 40 years of piloting experience, he was a, uh, a, a dogfighter in the, in the Air Force. He was an a, a experienced pilot, had about 20,000 hours of flight experience. He had lots of ability and training and experience, lots of numbers going through his head as he was trying to calculate what to do. But as he set the Airbus 320 down in the water on that cold January day, as water began flooding into the cabin, Captain Sully had just one number in mind, and it has to do with what we're going to talk about today. 
Today is the last of our series on seeking shepherds. And we've been doing this, as Charles said, we're kind of in this process for the purpose of appointing new shepherds to the congregation. Uh, We've worked through this methodically, thinking about, first of all, why do shepherds matter? What, what is their purpose? And we said they are biblical leaders God assigned to lead the local church. And they're important because sheep, although sheep may not always be dumb, but sheep certainly make dumb decisions. Sheep are in a lot of danger if they are without leaders and guides and shepherds. Then last week we talked about who shepherds are to be. Uh, their their biblical name of uh, can be translated as elders and overseers and pastors and shepherds, and those names speak to their role, their function, their purpose. And so the Bible gives us several pieces of scripture to talk about the quality of men to look for as we appoint shepherds. Then just say pick your best friend. It doesn't just say pick a good old boy. It doesn't make it a popularity contest. It says look for these qualities within the men that you appoint. And we said there's 33 qualities one by one, but if you put those in four categories, they are essentially wise, disciplined, godly men who lead their families well who have respectable reputations both inside as well as outside the church. I hope that you've been reading the scriptures from 1 Timothy and Titus. Uh, We've learned that our shepherds that we're looking for are a certain quality of man. And that quality, first and foremost, needs to be a biblical one. The six shepherds that we currently have at Northside... Um, maybe you know all of them. Maybe you know just a few. Maybe you only know one. But I want to ask you, when was the last time that you had to meet with the shepherds? Maybe it was when you came to Northside as a new member. That first time, if you're a guest here and you're considering becoming a member, it's not a hard process. They want you to, they want to hear your story. They want to understand where you come from, what your background is. They also want you to know their stories. There's a tiny test over the book of Leviticus that most people don't pass, but, but no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, but it's a very, it's an intentional process because our shepherds want to know the sheep of the, of the flock. Maybe it was when they came to pray with you. Maybe they came to your hospital room or to the outpatient place where you had your procedure done. Uh, Maybe it was one or two or all of them. Maybe they came to your home as they came to ours before Christie's surgery. Maybe it was a time when you had something on your heart for a ministry. You had something on your heart that you think God is calling you to to lead or to serve in a certain way, and you'd like to bring that vision to Northside, and so you wanted to meet with the elders to share with them your vision and to hear with them, hear from them rather, some wisdom about maybe how to go about that. Maybe you've asked something of them, or maybe they've asked something of you. 
Uh, Maybe you had to tell them something hard, something that's going on in your life, something you're embarrassed to share, something that is a struggle that you're going through. That's what shepherds are for. Or maybe they had to tell you something hard. In a spirit of love, they had to gently guide you and admonish you and correct you. And Shepherds do that too. Our shepherds do a lot. All shepherds do a lot. And there's a reason for that. I would like to ask you to stand today as we read the scripture that we're going to be working out of. I know you're comfortable right now, um, but this will give you that second inning stretch. Romans chapter, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. I'd like you to read with me the words from the screen. Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. This is the word of God. You may be seated. As we think about this scripture that comes in the last chapter of the letter of Hebrews, the first thing that the writer, some say was the Apostle Paul, we really don't know, but the first thing that he calls us to do is to remember why your shepherds lead. Uh, We talked about that shepherds are leaders and that leaders really is nothing more than influence. Our shepherds lead and the truth about leadership is it's not easy. Our shepherds lead, protect, mature, teach, serve, and sacrifice for us. And they do that as volunteers, right alongside managing their own marriages and families and businesses and lives. They devote a great deal of time to leading all of us. Why is it that shepherds lead? Well, my my view of it is the best shepherds are the ones who lead from love. Jesus said that the greatest two commands are to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. The Apostle Paul said, if I do all of these wonderful things, these are paraphrases here, I speak in tongues, I speak in prophecies, I have the gift of knowledge, I have the faith that can move mountains, all of those things would be assets to a local congregation. But he says this, but if I have not love, I'm a noisy gong, I'm a clanging cymbal, I am, it's good for nothing is what he's saying. If I do what I do without love, and he'll go on to say in chapter 16, let all that you do be done in love. I've worked with shepherds for 25 years of all different types, of all different personalities, young and old, introverts and extroverts, innies and outies, those who are harsh and those who are gentle, those who are kind, those who are direct. The best of them have this in common. 
that they love all of us. And the decisions that they make, whether they're large or small, the actions that they take, be they large or small, should first and foremost be done out of love for God and love for his sheep. Here's a good question to ask as you're considering some of the potential new shepherds. By the way, you should have received a... uh, I guess I didn't receive a handout. Um, one of the handouts with, uh, could somebody just run me up one of those little sheets that you got? Not the handout. Oh, Clayton's right on it. Look at him. He's got his sprinters on. Good job. Um, you should have received this form telling you, as the Northside members, is not applicable to guests, but they're from our shepherds asking you for the names of men to consider. As you think about men's men's names to put on this paper, a good question to ask would be this. Does this man love God? Does this man love God's people? That's That's a good question because it's why shepherds lead. Lead. Secondly, um, I want to encourage you to think about their lives. The writer says, consider the outcome of their way of life. Uh, You see, the challenge in talking about leadership is there's all sorts of leaders. You know this in in your workplace. You've had good bosses and bad bosses, haven't you? You've had good CEOs and bad CEOs, haven't you? Uh, You've had good supervisors and bad supervisors. You've had good foremen and bad foremen. You understand that. Well, the same is true within the church. Now, Jesus warned about it, and he used terminology about shepherds and wolves. It doesn't look like a wolf, but because he wears sheep's clothing. But you've got to be on guard. You have to be careful about those who lead. Matthew chapter 7, if you're following along in the Bible, and I really hope that you are all the time, but especially in this series, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus spoke these words. If you don't know where Matthew 7 is, grab a pew Bible and turn to page 1042. The Lord speaking, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Fathers, if you have daughters who are still under the age of 18, and you're trying to teach them about how to, what to look for in a young man as they begin to date and as they think they like uh, men, 
I hope that you give them the following teaching. Judge these men not by the words that they say. There are lots of smooth talkers. Judge them by their actions. Judge them by how they treat you. Judge them by how they treat others. Judge them by how they treat their families. Well, family, or father who's giving his daughter that advice, what is he doing there? He's saying what Jesus is saying. Judge them by their fruits, not by their appearance. It may look like an apple tree, but if nothing comes off of it but peaches, you've been deceived. In consideration of our shepherds, potential shepherds, you should consider not just their lives, but the outcome of their lives. This is why we pay close attention to their marriage, to their children, because these are a good examination of the fruit of their lives. I said a couple of weeks ago, I told told the story about Wild West World when it went bankrupt so quickly. And I was talking with somebody about that, and this guy's a very humble leader, but he's very intelligent, very successful in a lot of ways. And we were talking about how quickly that happened, and we were talking about the, the man who started the whole project, and he said, well, his reputation sort of preceded him. He was saying, think about the fruit of his life. We would do well to consider the fruit of the lives of the men that we put on this piece of paper. Their marriage, their children, their reputation, their businesses. These are the results of their lives. Number three, a good question to ask. Would you follow their example? Writer of Hebrews says, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. I see that the first part is connected to the second part by that conjunction and. Consider consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. The reason you do number one is so that you do number two. Shepherds lead in lots of ways. Sometimes, they, like Doug did this morning, they get up and teach from a, a, po- a pulpit. Sometimes they teach in a classroom. Sometimes they teach one-on-one. But they also teach in this way. They teach by their example. I, I read an article on this, and it said... A congregation takes on the personality of those in leadership. I suppose that's true in any situation, a school, a business, a family. But certainly within a church, I think that's really true. And so the second question, besides what is the, what is the result of their life, is could I imitate their faith? I've told you before, my grandfather... On my dad's side, my dad's dad was a woodworker. Grandpa was a great woodworker. Uh, He didn't just use the patterns. He used those, of course, to start. But he had all sorts of measurements and and pictures and and things that were in his head. 
And sometimes I'd ask him about a woodworking project and he'd try to explain to me what was in his head. It didn't go so well. But how he taught me was to show me how to cut this piece and where to turn it and how to turn the blade and how to sand it and how to rub in the stain of the varnish. He showed me, and that was the way that I learned, and that's really the way which all of us learn. Let me give you an example, okay? I'm going to do something that requires some audience participation, all right? What I'm going to do is say, one, two, three, go, and then all of you at the same time will clap, just like that, okay? Ready? So that's what we're going to do. One, two, three, go, and then clap. Okay, so we're going to try it again. Ready? One, two, three, go. The point is this. I'm an experienced communicator. I told you very clearly that we were going to say one, two, three, go, and then clap. But when it came down to example, I said, one, two, three, and you all followed. The point is, example is much more powerful than words. Now, words are nothing. Please don't misunderstand me. There is great value in words and in the word. But when it comes to living the word... The men that we appoint as shepherds are the men that we're going to walk and imitate their faith. So it's very important that we appoint men who we can imitate their faith. As the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Would you desire to have the faith and the marriage and the children and the reputation that these men have? And would you be okay if you somehow lost all of the Bibles in the world? Could you follow their example of faith? Number four, will you trust them fully? Now, we're still in Hebrews chapter 13, but I've moved now from verse 7 to verse 17. The writer of Hebrews says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You see, obedience and submission are not words that we like. But they are words all throughout the pages of Scripture, whether it's telling children to obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, or whether it's uh, telling all of us to obey and submit to our leaders. Obedience, you see, is, is a tricky thing. It's very easy to obey your leaders when they decide what you want. When they make the call that you would have made. When they go in the direction that you want to go. 
I mean, obeying the speed limit on Meridian Avenue would be quite easy if our city fathers set it to 80 miles an hour. But, they've set it at a different speed limit than what I would have chosen. And so when the Bible calls for Christians to be good citizens in Romans 13 and to obey those in authority to the point that they can as long as it doesn't overlap with the direct commands of God. Scripture's telling us something. Scripture's calling us to learn obedience and submission so that ultimately we can do that before the Lord. Submission is yielding our will to someone else's will out of full trust. Scripture, I used this example a couple of weeks ago, calls wives to submit to their husbands. The world hates that. That's just so patriarchal and and, and misogynistic and all of that. Um, But it's God's design. But hear me now, submission only works because a wife fully trusts her husband, fully believes that he loves her and wants what's best for her, and he is actively loving her in a way that's sacrificial, where he's laying down himself. And when a wife, experiencing that kind of love, in full trust to the spiritual headship of her husband, submits. And when done in a biblical and godly way, it's a beautiful thing. Sheep trust their shepherd out of full trust in him. Jesus said this, My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. which is sheep speak for, but I wanted to go that way. But there's green pastures over there. Don't you see the running waters over there? But But the shepherd knows that there are wolves by the edge of the running water. And there are predators behind the hill of the pasture on the edge of the horizon. And so the shepherd takes them through the valley of the shadow of death. And the sheep lovingly submit. Not because it's what they want, but because it's what the shepherd wills. The writer of Hebrews says, they're keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. See, the difference between sheep and shepherds is that sheep tend to only think about sheep and, and pretty much one sheep. Shepherds have to think about the flock Shepherds have to love all the sheep. 
You tend to think about you. Shepherds think about us. They have more than one soul to think about. Back to January 15, 2009. Captain Sully is now in the water, in the plane of Flight 1549. There's panic, there's chaos. He has got to keep his head while everyone else is losing theirs. He opens the door and says one word, evacuate. And as the stewardesses instruct the passengers and open the doors, both over the front of the plane and over the wings, and passengers begin to exit, Captain Sully just has one number in mind. It's the number 155. As a pilot, when you declare a mayday, when you declare a state of emergency, one of the things that they will ask is, how many souls on board? Captain Sully knew the number. 155. And he was not content to have an empty plane, but he had to go back through and do one final check to the very back of the plane that is now up to his chest in icy cold Hudson River water to make sure that as to the best of his ability, everyone was out. He went back up to the front. He got a clipboard that he would need. He got his captain's jacket, his Second in command, exited in front of him, he jumped out, last one to go and leave the plane. He was not satisfied when they were off the plane in the raft. He was not satisfied when they were all on the rescue boats. He was not even satisfied as they were on the shore, for still one number plagued him over all other numbers that day, and it was this pressing number, one, five, five. Number of souls that he was given stewardship of during his flight under his command. 155, the number of souls that he would be held to account for in the investigation by the NTSB. Did he do the right things? Did he make the right decision? Did he make the right call for the best benefit of all 155 souls on board? Thankfully, Some called it miraculously, and they called it the miracle on the Hudson. Captain Sully delivered safely all 155 souls that day. And they were forever bound by this unique experience that they had all encountered together. But I want to point you back to the heart of Captain Sully, because it's the heart of a shepherd. You see, shepherds have one number in mind. And it's the number of north side souls that they've been entrusted with. For they're keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. They take it seriously. They're not, they're not okay with souls being left behind. They're not okay with souls slipping away. 
They pray for, they love, they think about souls. And the writer of Hebrews doesn't address them as much as he does us. And he says, let them do this with joy. Not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So may we make their work a joy and not a burden. And may we help them as they are called to give an account for each and every soul here at Northside. Now, it doesn't mean they're responsible for the decisions of those souls. God will hold each person to account. But they will be responsible if Captain Sully had, asked, had lost one single soul. There would have been questions as to what happened and why. Scripture doesn't tell us how that's all going to play out, but it does say that those in leadership will be called to give an account, and good leaders take that seriously. All right, so what's next in this process? This is the last sermon in our series. Uh, Here's what I want to ask you to do. Number one, pray for our elders. I hope that you have been doing that to this point already, Uh, but if you haven't been, please start today. Both our current elders as well as our future elders. Uh, Number two, reread 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, which give us the clearest instructions about the qualities of men that we're to look for. Number four, um, complete a nomination form. Uh, There are more of these at the information booth, so we've got plenty, but everybody should have one. We want you to think about it. We want you to read the scriptures. We want you to pray about it fast if you're able to do so. Uh, And then prayerfully, thoughtfully put the names of those men. Then sign it at the bottom. Okay, And that's important as well. Now, before you fill that all out and privately hand it to an elder or shepherd, know that if um, 600 people privately hand something like this to an elder and they put it in their jacket pocket, it's likely to get lost or mishandled or stuffed in a Bible somewhere, and we don't want to do that. So it would be most helpful to them if you could please take your completed nomination form and just simply put it in the locked boxes at the back of the auditorium. If you don't know where the locked boxes are, go ask a shepherd. They can tell you, or go ask me. I can tell you. Uh, Put these in there. Please do that. And write this down, circle it on your form, no later than August the 30th. We want to give you time to think about it and pray over it, but we also need to give time for our elders to think about it, pray about it, talk to the men, and so forth. So turn that in by August the 30th. Then, of those nominated, our elders will ask the men that they believe are best, in the best capacity at this time, to serve as a Northside shepherd. I've said and said before, I'll say again, There may be good men whose names go on these forms who are not asked to serve. It might be the right man, but the wrong time. It might be, for reasons the shepherds couldn't tell you, the wrong man for Northside. Uh, This is one of those things where we trust our shepherds. But our shepherds are asking you as the congregation, who are the men that you believe fit the biblical qualifications and whom you respect as godly leaders? They will then, at the time of their choosing, they will present those names of those men to the congregation. The congregation will have the opportunity to uh, submit any scriptural objections to the elders in writing. And after all of those considerations have been made, uh, new shepherds will be appointed shortly thereafter. 
Bible doesn't tell us what process to use. It just says that we should have shepherds. So we do the best that we can, and this is the process that has worked best for Northside. Finally, I hope that you will please plan to join us tonight at 5 o'clock for a conversation with our shepherds. Uh, we got two different shepherds. We had uh, Brian Middleton and, and Brent Groves uh, last Sunday night, and this Sunday night tonight at 5 o'clock we have Craig Greenwood and Doug Wagner. Uh, a couple of more of our shepherds uh, will have some questions from some of you and some questions for them to share with us from their perspective as shepherds. So I hope that you will join us tonight at 5 o'clock for a conversation with our shepherds. The good shepherd is so because he gave his life for the sheep. Uh, Jesus is the good shepherd, and if you want to follow him, uh, you need to make the decision to do so, uh, to repent of your sin and to put him on in baptism. To believe and be baptized is exactly what Jesus said to do, and if you're ready to do that this morning, our shepherds would be thrilled to help you in that process. So we're going to sing a song. Brother Charles will lead us. If you have that need or any other public need of this congregation, please head to the back. One of our shepherds will be there to meet you and will help you as best you can. Whatever your need might be, once you head to the back if you have a need, as together all of us stand and sing.